Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Gospel of John. Today we want to talk about the world hating us. Not the most happy topics to talk about, but so necessary. So let's turn to John chapter 15, verse 18 to 25. John 15, verse 18 to 25. And let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. That even as we learn your truths, Lord, we may indeed live in your world. That we may be of your world and your kingdom. And Lord, that we may not be terrified when the world that we live in now hates us or ridicules us. Strengthen our faith, Lord, as we learn from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15 verse 18 to 25 If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the most disheartening, discouraging things that happens in our Christian life is when we are ridiculed, mocked, scolded, punished for doing that which we believe is right. We thought we were following Jesus, we thought that we were holding on to the things that were precious to God. What happens then is that we are criticised for doing that, criticised for being impractical, for being stupid, for being gullible. And what is worse is that often it comes from Christian friends. Sometimes it even comes from church, the pastor, the leaders, from the people whom we look up to were supposed to follow Jesus. But often, these criticisms come from them. We become very disillusioned. We say, how can that be? How can it be worth following Jesus? When even my leaders, the ones who are supposed to guide me, my shepherds, tell me that I'm wrong. When it so clearly says that this is what it means to follow Jesus. And then we become disillusioned and we wonder whether maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we were too strict with ourselves. Maybe we misinterpreted the Bible. Or maybe it's just that Christianity is a farce. I don't know, but I've seen people fall because they've suffered greatly from the hands of those who are supposed to guide them. Those who are supposed to point them to Jesus, who instead mock them for following Jesus. First thing then I want to say is that if what Jesus says, the servant is not greater than his master. If they so persecuted Jesus, 
If this is what Jesus did and the world persecuted him, then know that you will not be exempt from persecution as well. Basically, what you're going through is it's just exactly what you should expect. So don't be unduly shocked, surprised, disillusioned when you are hated for following Jesus. The reality is that you are not of this world, you are of a different world. And because you are of a different world, those of this world will condemn you, as they condemned Jesus as well. But the other thing that is very encouraging is that you were chosen by God. God chose you out of this world that you might live for Him. Jesus says that they hated the Father as well and those who, who punish you, who criticize you are not of the Father. They have not known the Father. They have not seen the Father and they hate the Father. But because you know, because Jesus chose you, as he says in verse 19, because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The reason you're hated is because you're specially chosen by God. You are the apple of God's eye. And if you are <coughs> chosen by God, special to him, then do not be surprised when you are hated for following him. I want to recap then of what it means to be of two worlds. Some of the examples, this is not exhaustive as, at all, but I just want to mention three examples of what, what it is that our world is different. The world that we live in here is different from the world of God. The first is popularity. Remember when Jesus was asked by his brothers to go to Jerusalem and his brothers said, well, unless you are known to people, unless you tell people, show yourself, demonstrate your power, how do you convince people that you're God? Be popular. In fact, Jesus on two occasions at least said to the Pharisees, unless I be lifted up, you will lift me up. And yet, Jesus' understanding of being lifted up was completely different from the world's meaning of lifted up. For the Pharisees and for the rest of the world, to be lifted up means to be exalted, to be acclaimed, to become famous, to be worshipped perhaps. To Jesus, to be lifted up was to be lifted up on the cross, was to be the servant, the lowest of all, and to be humiliated in the process of doing that which is right. For Jesus then to be lifted up was to be punished, was to be hurt for doing that which was most loving. The idea of popularity has captured all of us. We look at what is most popular and assume that it is always the best. Hawker centres. We see a long queue at a hawker stall and we say this one must be popular and then we join them. I remember going to um, Old Airport Road, Hawker Centre, and this long, long queue for the law me. So I queued up there and I met a friend, actually it was a church member who came and laughed at me and said, well, how long you wait already? I said, one hour. I think some more, maybe one and a half hours. 
And then he scratched his head and said, I tried before, not any better than others. Well, I ended up queuing for my law me because it was popular, because the queue was snaking long. I got my law me and true enough, slightly better, but worth an hour's wait, an hour and a half's queue, definitely not. But popularity, we always assume, is means quality. And that is so untrue. And so we borrow that into our church as well. We do that for products. Marketing is the byword. But some years ago, two, two friends who were senior bankers were lamenting to me. They were very old and senior. And they said, you know, in the olden t- days, banks looked after the interests of the clients. They cared for the interests of the clients. They gave them products that would bless their clients. These days, everyone goes for quick profit. Not only quick profits, but popularity. Sell as much as you can. Make a product that shines and glitters. Make a product that is attractive. Never mind if it's real, lousy product at the end of the day. Just attract people. Get them to it. Popularity does not equal quality. And we need to recognize that again and again in the church. That popularity means nothing at all. We are often taken in by numbers again. If we were overflowing, if our hall was overflowing with people, if our various ministries, our children ministry and our youth ministry was overflowing and bursting at the seams, we get very excited. And sure, it's alright to get excited. But when our eyes and our focus then looks at how do I get more, rather than looking at the people whom God has sent and asking, how do I care better for these who have been entrusted to us, then we are really going down the wrong road. Because I believe that every person whom God sends to our church, rich, poor, normal, abnormal, strange, wonderful, every person whom God sends is someone whom God calls us to minister to. And if we were only looking for numbers, how do we expand? Like, wow, this type of people that God sends really lousy. Then we have really gone down the wrong road. Rather, when we see each person come in, we look at each person as they come. And we ask God, God, what do we do? You have sent this person to me. How then do we minister to them? And we must keep that sense of purity before God. Even if we don't expand in great numbers, where we care for the quality, we're concerned for the quality of our care, that is what God calls us to. Popularity is nothing. Servanthood is what God calls us to. Second thing that we um, often that this world is different from God's world is superficiality. Superficiality. We often look at everyone on the surface, and everyone looks good at the surface. And yet Jesus taught very clearly that murder is not about killing people, but murder has to do with despising another person, being contemptuous of another person. If you call your brother a fool, 
you are already guilty of murder. Jesus here wasn't adding to a whole list, adding a whole list more to what was sin. He was simply talking about going deep and avoiding superficiality. Murder is not about taking a life, it is taking away the dignity of another person. Same for, for adultery. Adultery isn't having sex with another woman or another man. Adultery is looking at another lustfully. And so what Jesus calls us to is to go deep and avoid superficialities. The problem then is that often in the church, we do not, we fail to look beyond what our eyes can see. You know, Jesus wasn't just looking at everyone who was sinful and saying, well, actually, uh, this is all fake. But rather, Jesus was doing the opposite. He was looking at every obvious sinner and seeing the beauty in them. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and instead of seeing sin and, and corruption in him, which he could see in everyone, he saw possibilities. He saw hope. He saw a person who could love Jesus, who could love God. Jesus told, gave an example of two men praying in the, in the temple. One, a Pharisee, told God, but I have been perfect in all that I do, unlike this man who is a sinner. At the same time, the sinner fell on his face and cried, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus looked beyond the superficial, looked beyond the surface, and he saw that that man, the sinner who cried out, had a heart who longed to know God. And that was precious to him. And so when we look at people as well coming to our church, let us pray that God will heal us of a sense of superficiality. Because often we look at people and say, ah, this person is unpleasant. This person is an adulterer. This person is gay. This person has told lies. This person is rough in his speaking. And then we dismiss them and we say we don't really appreciate people like this in our church. But really, have we been too superficial? Because if I, an adulterer, I, a murderer, in me, God sees something beautiful. That God sees beyond my adultery and God sees beyond my murderous heart. And God sees something that could love him, something that longs for him. And he then calls me his beloved child and he loves me. Can we not also see beyond all those superficial faults that a person has? Gay, adulterous, dishonest, anything unpleasant, rude, crude, anything that doesn't look right superficially. Could we not look beyond that and see a heart that longs for God? A heart that cries out to know God and to embrace them then and take them in and say, God loves you too. Let us grow to know our Lord. Even the church often acts so superficially. We condemn people just with a casual look. This one doesn't look good. We want good people. We fail in this. And to, be, to go beyond superficiality then often will invite much criticism also. Why do you take in so many 
sinners? Why do you take in people who don't seem to want God? But are we able to see them with God's eyes? To see a beauty beyond their sin and their ugliness? God did that for me. God did that for each of you. Will we also learn to do this for someone else? And then the third distinction between the world and God's world is prosperity. We often say that and assume that the more the better, much is preferable to little. And we do that in our lives, gather more. We do that in our church, to have more is to be better. And yet this is what what Proverbs chapter 30 says. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. How true this, that when we have so much we forget the Lord. I remember when I was starting out and terribly poor, even as a lawyer, and I gave very generously to God. I gave a large portion, large chunk to God. Ironically, the richer I got, the more money I accumulated, the less I gave to God. In fact, when people gave me a lot more, when I, when I was surprised by God with bounty, I became tighter. And I realized that to be true, whether in our lives or in our church, that the more prosperous we are, the more tight-fisted we are. I see it also among people, that often it's the poor, often it's those who earn just enough, who give liberally, who are generous with others. Do not make me too rich or too poor. But you know, if we were to adopt that attitude, it teaches us great contentment. It allows us to see then that God actually, God who provides, God who feeds the sparrows and makes beautiful flowers, it is the same God who will feed us and give us enough. Sometimes you are snowed under over a whole lot of debt. And that could be because we are overly greedy. That's because we thought we would have more and then we found that we could not make ends meet. If we are then to adopt an attitude of simplicity and contentment, believing that God supplies our needs every day, and then live as such, neither wanting too much and asking God not to let us have too little, then we will find real joy. And it's the same for the church. When I was working in a big in previous church super rich church every year we had surpluses huge surpluses and I tell you inwardly I felt guilty when my surpluses was less than my predecessors although they were in an excess of a million can you imagine every year we had a excess of a surplus of over a million dollars and I felt bad that my million was less than my predecessors million but that's how Wealth corrupts and hurts us. Sometimes just having enough and spending and giving liberally and generously 
believing that we have a good and generous God who will never let us lack, who will always supply, so that even when our surpluses are not huge, or even when we just break even, we know that our God supplies and provides for our needs. That doesn't mean that we should be complacent. I mean, we do have to save up for our next building and all that. But that aside, just accumulating more and more does not mean that we are blessed more and more. Let God provide for us and let us rejoice and celebrate in what God gives to us. When we hold these principles, these principles of um, of repudiating popularity, superficiality and prosperity and looking for something deeper, something more beautiful, something that God wants of us, then indeed we will often be laughed at and criticised. But let that be. Because when we follow the heart of Jesus, then indeed we are proven to be the chosen of God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you deliver us from superficiality, from love of popularity, and from prosperity. Help us instead to be content, to be deep, to be servants. And God, in the process, if the world hates us for this, even, even, even those who lead us mock us for this. Remind us, Lord, that we were chosen by you to follow your heart. But speak these truths to us, Lord, and teach us your precious truths. As we grow as your children, and as we, community at Agape, grow together as a church, teach us always to reflect your heart. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do have a wonderful week this week. Deep relationships, loving friendships, joyful work. And God bless you. Goodbye.